0: Today's reading is Ephesians 314 to 21. It can be found on page 1080 of the Bible's next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. When we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you learned about Christ and we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. the Word of the Lord. You,
1: God. Um, that was not the section that I had, so I'm going to read it over again. Um, I think that was lovely. Thank you. Must have been an administration error or something. Um That got me, that got me going, man. Okay, let me, let's, let's start, let's start over. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurable more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks be to God. All right, pray pray with me. God, our Heavenly Father, sometimes I don't have patience, compassion, forgiveness for myself, let alone anyone else. There are moments when it feels like my reservoir and reserves for love is empty. Even in my lowest times, when I am scraping the bottom, I am thankful that your love is not empty. When I suffer, remind me that this is true. When I am in abundance, remind me further. Amen. I am not someone that is, that is shy away from asking the question why. I ask why a lot and sometimes I get in trouble. This is a true statement about, about me. I ask why. I'm also someone that appreciates the value and the process it takes to create art. Also something true about me. However, last week, I found my limits within those two things. My wife and I just got back from a road trip. We, tra- we drove through 10 states in 10 days, 4,100 miles in a little blue Yaris without cruise control. <laughs> towards, the last end of our, towards the last end of our trip, um, we decided we wanted to stop at Mount Rushmore, and this was a very big deal for me. This was my first national monument. Let me give you kind of the scope. Let me paint a picture for all the landscapes that we saw. We drove through the Sierra Nevadas to start off with. We drove through the Nevada desert. We saw the backs of Yellowstone and the little itty-bitty tiny Grand Tetons. We drove through the rolling golden hills of Montana. We ate lunch over the painted canyons of North Dakota. We went to two cities on the beautiful blue Lake Superior we drove. We saw a glimpse and drove quickly past the Badlands in South Dakota. We stopped at the Salt Flats in the Great Salt Lake Basin. It was an amazing trip, seeing nature in its rawest forms. Many times as we were driving, I remember looking at the sky and thinking how big it is. I remember thinking how small I am. And at times when we were camping, because we stopped at KOAs along the way, I remember looking at the stars and thinking about how they are so far away they seem to be at the exact same distance. But last Sunday, one week ago, our plan was to go to Mount Rushmore. So I studied up on my facts. So here are some fast facts about Mount Rushmore. Do you know that it has an address? 13,000 South Dakota, 244. It's in Keystone, South Dakota. And zip code 57751. Its creator, its sculptor, was Lincoln Borglum. Construction started on October 5th, 1927, and it was completed October 31st, 1941, which gives that a total of 14 years of construction time. It wasn't even completed. Borglum died before the actual sculpture was completed. It is 59 feet tall. Its design was changed seven times times during that 14 years and this is my favorite part it has a 4.4 google rating which 4.4 which means someone gave it less than five stars which but that is slightly higher than its yelp review which is about a four out of five and if you want to see some of the funny things on the internet look at how people rate and how they review national monuments it was good I'd like it to be bigger 59 (laughs) feet I've seen so I've heard so many people describe their experience going to Mount Rushmore they say that you have to see it to believe it. that the pictures don't do it justice and think about the audacity of a man that says I want to put faces in this mountain I want to put faces in this mountain so I wanted to see it but more importantly I wanted to know why why would you go through the painstaking process of blowing up granite to put in, to carve in four presidents into this mountain? I simply, you simply have to see it to believe it. Well, there we were, driving through the black hills in, in South Dakota. The sun was setting. The blue sky was fading under, under all that was fading. The blue sky that we had been driving under had been fading into purples, oranges, and splashes of red. We drove around bends and around curves, over creeks and rivers, and through the trees, you could see the mountains and the rocks shooting through the forest. Our GPS was telling we were close. And in the midst of driving through this forest, I had one reverberating question. Why? Why would you do it? And then, finally, we came around the last turn. Through the trees, I saw it. There it was. Four presidents, resolute granite, solid, but somehow lifelike. Not looking at me or my car or the visitor center or the tourists below, but there they were, carved in the mountain where well, we had to go camping at. So we drove past and just like that, they were gone, out of sight. I still wanted to know why. So we went back to the visitor center, went through all of the, the displays that they had. We watched the videos narrated by Tom Brokaw, And I finally figured out why. I got my answer. Why would someone painstakingly blow up a mountain to carve in four presidential faces? The answer is simple. Why not? How American is that? Why are we going to the moon? Well, because it's hard. We can do it. Why do we sail across the ocean? Well, why not? Because we can do it. Why not go through the pain and struggle and toil to create something that no one can has ever created before the answer is simple why not that's the story of how this mountain this monument was created through all the suffering through all the dynamite through all of the pain and toil borglum saw something in that mountain that other people didn't he had a vision he saw what other people couldn't I think what happens underneath this, underneath this passage and underneath this passage within the context is something very similar. And perhaps it's familiar in what you might be able to pick up on with other artists, that they see something that other people don't. Or maybe you know someone like this. Maybe it's not an artist. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's your boss. That they are able to see something that other people can't. They can wade through all the distractions and they can find the true thing that exists right there. Or maybe you don't know someone like that or maybe you're not someone like that and you can't really see things past the end of your nose that you're so focused on the problems in front of you. Regardless, something is happening within this passage, within this book, within this moment of history where Paul, our writer, is seeing something that other people can't. He's able to see past his own sufferings, his own situation, past his own mountains and he has visions of something And so there's two things I want to highlight uh, to you today. Two things, Paul's prison and God's mystery. I think that's really simple, Paul's prison and God's mystery. So let's start with the first one, Paul's prison. This is what brings us here today, why Paul is writing this passage. Paul's story is a story about seeing what other people can't, which is ironic and fitting because his dramatic story of being in the Christian faith starts with him being blind. He's blind. And he moves from that blindness and he sees something that other people can't. So following the death and resurrection of of Jesus, something happens where God is bringing his kingdom on earth. And something clear is happening, radically different. We might call it the gospel. We might call it the the spread of God's people. God's people coming to the other, the church. The early Christian church struggled and pained their way to make sense with experiences that they were having. Something new was resonating within their hearts. Something new was resonating within their spirit, and it almost seemed brand new, and they had to figure their way through it. Paul became a follower of Jesus and waded his way through these heavy burdens. And one way, we can describe it as they were trying to understand this new normal. Last week, David Lindner uh, preached about one of these tensions that existed during the early church, and conveniently, it was kind of the section before before this section. It was a struggle that we might all experience about who is in and who is out. And oftentimes, well, that struggle was resolved and they decided who, decide, who could be within this community, but other people placed the burdens on those people. Yeah, you can be with us, but you have to do these extra things. We always place burdens on other people when they come inside our group and maybe you have experienced Those burdens, someone has placed expectations on your life. Yeah, you can be with us, but you have to do these things. You can be with us, but you have to say these things or act this way or do that particular thing. And there's this tension in the early church about how do we resolve this inclusivity of God's love and this gospel, but also be true to where we come from. It was a burden that Paul tried to break through to say, no, God's gospel, God's love is true. And so you can imagine this brand new movement, this, this thing that's trying to figure out its, its language of what is happening. And so um, the, the language within Ephesians focuses on that tension. It focuses on that paradigm shift. Um, so the beginning of this chapter, Paul describes it as a mystery. He says you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ in verse 4. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs in verse 6. This mystery that hidden for ages in God who created all things in verse 9. In other parts of the New Testament, writers describe this as a veil in front of our eyes that is being lifted off. That we are seeing something for the first time. We are experiencing something new. And much of the New Testament is language to describe that experience of something new. So you can imagine what is happening. Paul has gone through his, his preaching this inclusive gospel that all people are a part of this story. Eventually, he's, he's put in prison. He is suffering. At some time, sometimes within his story, he was beaten, he was flogged, he was stoned to the point of death. He was eventually captured, arrested, shipwrecked, was sent to Rome in prison, requested to meet Caesar, was not given that request, and eventually died. He is in the midst of amazing suffering. So we have this tension. Paul is in prison, and he writes this letter about how God is unveiling this grand story and plan. He's in prison, and he's celebrating the expansiveness of God's gospel, the inclusivity and grace of God's love. He is in prison, and he tells his audience at the end of verse 13, do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. What the heck is Paul looking at? What is he doing? There are unimaginable levels of suffering in our world. We're almost tuned to hear it. We might be able to look in that suffering and act on it and respond to it, It taps into our reservoirs and deposits of love and and causes us to want to do something. Sometimes we just feel tapped out. And I'm sure that we have all experienced those moments where we feel tapped out from that suffering, where those we feel empty from those deposits of love. We need one extra cup of coffee because that coworker is in that kind of mood. Or we need to put the kids to bed early because we need to have a glass of wine a little bit sooner might feel so dry, and we might have felt so dry for so long. We look into the abyss. We look at this mountain, and we try to find meaning from it. Philosophers, authors, painters, storytellers, they have tried to make sense of this abyss, of this mountain for so long. And this is a human experience of trying to make sense of it. Maybe it's like, it's like Tennyson who wrote in one poem, but what am I, an infant crying in the night? We ask ourselves, what, who am I in the midst of this? Or maybe, maybe we resist it and we're like, we're like uh, Thomas Dillon where he says, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light and we shake our fists. Or maybe we're like Whitman and we, who wrote in song of myself, I sound my barbaric yelps over the roofs of the world. Sometimes we just want to be heard. So Paul's in prison, and he is writing about this mystery of the gospel that is being revealed. Little chips about how we can make sense of the experiences that we are having. This doesn't make sense to me, because I, if I were Paul in that situation, I wouldn't be writing about the mystery of the gospel. I'd be looking for some me time. I'd be looking for some time to reflect about what I'm doing, maybe read some self-help books about why I'm here and how how I can better live my life. But no, instead he writes, it is for this reason, this mystery of the gospel, that I bow my knees and I pray this prayer. So this leads us to the second point, God's mystery. One commentator says that Ephesians can be divided into two parts, doctrine and ethics. Chapters one through three act on how we should believe, what we should believe and the rest are how we behave. But this moment, this prayer is something different. Paul moves from doctrine to behavior, and he focuses on this prayer. You can imagine as you're reading this, it's kind of one long run-on sentence that Paul is dictating to his scribe, writing this letter. And the scribe is like, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. I I can't keep up with what you are saying. This moment is, is different. All the mystery that Paul is writing about, this, this thing that is being revealed, almost seems vague, almost insider about what is happening. He's in prison, but he is learning deeper truths about the Gospels. And he says, can't you see what I'm seeing? Don't, don't look at my chains. Don't look at what hap- is happening to you or, or your sufferings. Don't look at, at your circumstances. Look at what I'm looking at. Don't you see what, what is happening? But the language almost seems a bit radical almost seems a bit crazy, almost hyperbolic, if you were to call it that. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power with, through his spirit and in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It almost seems like he is this broad strokes, this large, larger-than-life language. And we could spend... Um, Multiple Sundays, looking, breaking apart each of these statements. We're not going to do that today, and we're not going to do that for multiple Sundays. But if you're just to look at the first one, from every family in heaven on earth derives its name, this is, this language means all family, whether it's Um, not even just family within kind of the people on earth, but everything in, in the world above us, in the universe above us, all the stars and planets and gases and energy in the world to all the smallest babies and insects. Everything derives its name from this Father, a mystery that is being revealed. Don't look at my suffering. Look at what I'm looking at. And what God wants us to look at, what Paul is telling us to look at, is a larger story. There's a story about Michael, Michelangelo. Um, this might be apocryphal. I, I couldn't find out if it was true or not, but, it, I mean, it, it would make sense. I like it. So let's say that it's kind of, it's, it's, um, what does Stephen Colbert call it? It's, it exists within the realm of truthiness. <laughs> um, at the beginning of his career, Michelangelo was, was commissioned to sculpt a statue, he was given a second-hand piece of marble. It was deteriorated because of, sculpture, because of exposure. It was aged, almost worthless. When he started his work, um, it is said that he would, just, he would look at the slab of marble and just stare at it. Days on end during the workday, he would stare at this marble slab. You can imagine how frustrating that would be for an apprentice who was working with Michelangelo, who had become one of the greatest artists of human history, just staring at the slab. So I like to imagine that the apprentice kind of walks over to Michelangelo and nudges him and says, "When are we going to start the work?" And Michelangelo says, "I am working. I'm sculpting right now." That slab of marble later became the statue of David. What is Paul looking at in the midst of that suffering? He's looking at the gospel. What he's writing is not static or vague. It is a slow chisel unveiling the statue of God's story. It is dynamic. It is directional. And more than anything, it's grounded in love. In the midst of his suffering, it is grand. A grand, dynamic piece of artwork being unveiled. The landscape of this passage begins with the gospel and it stretches into the boundless realms of love. Be rooted in love. One version of this passage of the scripture says, I ask God that with both feet planted firmly on love that you will be able to take in all followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. This is my favorite part. Reach out. Experience the breath. Test the limits. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Breath, length, height, depth. We're all trying to find meaning of this mountain, meaning of this abyss. But Paul keeps finding new angles of God's love. Root yourself, build yourself. Be sculpted into love. In one way, Paul is saying, don't look at my sufferings. Don't look at, at what I, look where I'm looking. And that way, you're able to see the vastness of God's love. It's the same type of thing that, that happens when we take communion. Don't simply look at this, this bread and this wine, but look at how God is recreating all of the world. And it's the same thing that happens in the Christian life. When you lose a love, when you lose family members, when friends get sick, when you get passed up for a promotion... What are you looking at? Are you finding new angles of God's love? Are you only focusing on that suffering? Now, I know what you're saying. Okay, that's really easy for you to say. That's, it's easy for you to say that up there. It's a, my friend got sick and died, and now you're telling me what direction should I look in. I, I get it. That seems almost trivial or, or trite or insensitive. But the gospel does that it changes our direction. It lifts our head and points us into a new way of looking at the world. And that's hard. It's easy to say. But can you imagine that you are part of the same story that Paul is in, that he is suffering in chains. He is a prisoner. Throughout some of the language that Paul writes in his letters, he says, I'm a prisoner for Christ. You are a part of that story. Not only are you a part of that story, but you are a part of 2,000 years of a Christian story of people that have suffered, that have gone through amazing experiences. Some faltered and gave way. Some were resolute and pushed on. Some found grace. Some died continuing to want to find grace in God's love. But we are a part of that story. And we can celebrate in in those triumphs. Which I think makes it a little bit broader and a little bit deeper than just what we can find, what we can personally find in, in the, the limits and the depths of God's love. That it's not just our own experience that we can find God's love, but it's the experience in other people. And it's what we are able to do. It's what we are, how we are able to respond to that love. But can you imagine that you're a part of this same piece of art being sculptured that Paul was. And we're not separated. We're not different pieces of art in a museum, but we are part of the same ongoing artwork, part of the same story, looking at the same expansiveness of God's story. So in the midst of this suffering, Paul is praying to you, He is praying to Ephesians. He is praying to other churches that this letter was sent to. And he says that you will find God's love. Be rooted in God's love. Look for that strength. Look for that faith. Be a part of this story. When I was at Mount Rushmore, uh, I noticed something. I noticed that those heads, those presidents that look resolute and granite, They don't look at the tourists taking pictures or taking selfies or talking on their phones. They don't look at any of them. They stare past them into that vast, ever-expanding American wilderness. Look up. Allow the gospel to lift your head and look and see what God is doing and know that His love is not a mystery. Pray with me. God, we thank you that the mystery is revealed. You are real, loving, and invite us to be a part of your story. We ask for your strength to endure the difficult times, the humility to remember you in the easy ones, and the compassion for others in the continuum. Lift our heads, hold our hearts, keep our feet from fatigue, our spirit from despair, and our hands failing to rise to praise you. Amen.